let's turn in our Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. Last week we looked at God in our losses, the losses that Naomi experienced, and today we're going to look at God in our choices, verses 6 through 22. Years ago, British Prime Minister Herbert Asquith spent a weekend at the Waddiston estate of the Rothschild family. You, can you go back that far to remember what heady company that was? And one day it was tea time. And so the butler came to him and said, tea, coffee, or a peach off the wall, sir? And he thought for a minute and he said, tea, please. I can't do a British accent or I would do it. Actually, that wasn't me doing a British accent. Okay. So, tea, please. I'd like that. And then the butler asked him, well, uh, would you like China, India, or Ceylon? I don't even know what that is. And he said, China, please. Lemon, milk, or cream, sir? Milk, please, required, uh, replied Asquith. Jersey, Hereford, or Shorthorn, sir, asked the butler. Now that's going a little far, isn't it? But there's choices to be made, and I just want to tell you with that little silly story that we live in a world of choices. I want you to think about that. And I think more than any other time in history, we have choices wide open to us. You made some choices this morning. Did you know that? You made the choice to get up. Hopefully you made the choice to read your Bible a little bit, to pray. And you made the choice to put clothes on, thank you for doing that, and coming to church. Or sitting down and clicking and watching online. And so we're grateful that people did that. You have a choice to make now. That's to stay awake during the sermon. So we would encourage you to do that as well. We make choices all the time. Eleanor Roosevelt said it this way. Once philosophy is not best expressed in words, it is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves and the process never ends until we die. I think there's some truth to that in choices we made. However, for the Christian, we can clearly see the choices that shape our spiritual lives. Can't you see that? If you look back, you see God at work and, and choices that we make as we respond to him. It's been said this, when you have to make a choice and you don't make it, that in itself is a choice. Anybody ever been there before? Put it off. Oh, we've made the choice already. Listen, today, don't be that person. Don't be the person who doesn't make the choice because you've just made it. Whatever God speaks to you today, be the person who will respond to him. So today, we're going to see choices in scripture. We've got one widow who's in the place of defeat. That would be Naomi. We have another widow who's in the place of departure, we'll discover. That would be Orpah. And then one widow is going to be in the place of decision or choice, and that would be Ruth. And I ask where you are today. Perhaps you're in a place of defeat today. God wants you to make certain choices for him. Perhaps you're in a place of departure or you feel like others have departed from you, or, or, or where is God right now? God's there and working. And perhaps you're in a place of decision today. I just was reminded this morning again about Jonah and the fact that God is the God who saves and salvation comes from God. You might have that decision to make today 
You might have a decision that God would give your heart something else. So I just encourage you to be sensitive to what God is wanting to do in your life and choices. The big idea today is simply this. Uh, our extraordinary God works in our choices. Don't just assume that you just took it all on yourself and decided exactly how things are going to be. God is at work. Let's read uh, Ruth chapter 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 22. Lots of verses this morning, if I can find it. She, that's being Naomi, and her daughters-in-law pre prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. And she said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. Do you remember the dead? Do you remember the guys that had passed away? All the men of the family? Okay. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house, look at this, of your new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. No, they said to her. We will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? And the Hebrew right there, it says, duh, right? Hello? She's being practical. Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband, Tonight, and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourself from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth, look at that, clung to her. And Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, and this is perhaps one of the most powerful messages in, in the word. And scholars have debated and most have come to the conclusion this is a great conversion statement even. If you'll really read and look at what Ruth is saying. Let's read it. But Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave you or go back. Or not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And look at verse 17. When you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me. And even more, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? You can read between the lines there. And she says in verse 20, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. She answered, For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I left full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? And then verse 22, so Naomi came back from the land of Moab with 
her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Lord, we pray you'd speak to us. It would be your words that we hear. It would be your word that we look at and study and apply. And so, God, we ask that you would touch our hearts and lives today, that our choices would be in accordance with your will. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to give you an overarching principle. This is kind of a narrative, so these sermons, you got a lot of story to get in, but there is an overarching principle I see here, and it's that God sustains his people in their suffering. That God sustains his people in their suffering. So whatever you're suffering, God is able, more than able to sustain you. So let's jump in and look. Verses 6 and 7, I've outlined it this way. What happens is Naomi decided to return home, verses 6 and 7, to return home. And notice just a couple things quickly, that the Lord is the one who provides. The Lord had provided food. Did you catch that right there in those verses? I think, sadly, often we miss God's hand, his work, in the little things. We think about big things. We think about David and his voice. We think about big big ideas, big decisions. But God works in the little thing, something as simple as food. He's the one who provides it. Listen, we, we attribute good crops to changing weather patterns, to fertilizer, Instead of seeing that it's the hand of God working. Even when we don't understand his ways, he is still at work. And here is why he's still at work. The second thing I want you to see is that the Lord was faithful. We just sang about that a minute ago. But the Lord was faithful to his covenant promises. The famine that they experienced in Judah, in Bethlehem, you know, years ago, that the family ran from, that was no accident. That was no glitch of global warming. God said specifically he would send famines if his people turned away from him. And you know what happened with his people, don't you? They turned away, and sure enough, he did what he said he would do, and there was famine. And now we see, though, that God is working, and in his mercy, he is sending relief. I think there's four things here. We see a picture of divine grace here. You see, God's grace is divine grace. It's not human grace. It's divine grace. And I see a few things here just just in these simple verses, and I want you to think about that. Here's the first one. It was a gift from God to receive this good news. During Naomi's uh, time of grief and pain, God in his divine grace sends good news. Secondly, God indeed had intervened on the behalf of his people. As they turn back to him, famine's over, divine grace. And his people, it's interesting, the word that's used there is amo, which gives us a picture of covenant relationship, covenantial people. His people, they're the ones who received God's favor, the end of the famine. And I think this is ironic, but God restocked with bread Bethlehem. So he restocked the house of bread because that's what Bethlehem means. So we see God working and doing these things. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you seen God at work recently? Have you? In the little things? Have you been looking? Have you been noticing? In the big things? 
I tell you what, I praise God for, there's been a lot of answered prayer this year in our church. And I'm just, thank you, Lord. But even if the answer is not what we want it to be, God is still at work in the little things and the big things. I want to challenge you, church, this week. Listen, you got Thanksgiving coming up, right? Some of you are worried, aren't you? Come on, be honest. Some of you are concerned because the family's getting together, right? Rare, 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 right? Some of the worst times are at holidays when the family gets together. Would you look for God at work this week? Would you choose to be someone who proclaims God's faithfulness this week instead of a certain religious view, political view, financial view? It's so easy, isn't it, with our kids and grandkids who want to help them along. But how about we just love this week and remind everyone that we see that God is at work in our lives in the little things and the big things. Well, let's move on. Point number two. Naomi tried to do something. She tried to send her daughters-in-law back. Remember, they're on the road away from Moab towards Judah, and she tries to send them back in verse 8 and 9. What's interesting is really the only person returning home was Naomi. Did you catch that? She had just spent over 10 years in the foreign land. She was an alien in Moab, so she knew the hardships that Orpah and Ruth would face if the ball was flipped around, and they followed her home. And she gives a double command. I know it just says in English, go back, but it's really like back, back. It's a double command. Go back, go back. Notice she told them something interesting. She said, go back to your mother's home. Did you catch that? That's striking. See, the command in those days usually would be go back to the father, but not this command. And probably this command was done this way and said this way to release them to be remarried. Notice in verse 8 and 9, there's two prayers. Naomi offers up two prayers. In verse 8, the first prayer is this, that they're to the Lord, that the Lord would do what? Show them faithful love. And in verse 9, she asked the Lord, this is really stepping out there, asked the Lord to give them husbands. For Naomi, despite her suffering, there was only one true God. She specifically asked the Lord, Yahweh. Again, in your translation, it should be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's who she's praying to. She specifically asked Yahweh, the covenantal God, to grant these requests. And I want to tell you something. God would definitely work in these requests made to him. So Naomi makes the decision, go home, tells the daughter, daughter-in-law, go back. And then point number three, she insists that the girls go home. Not just go back, but insists that in verses 10 through 14. Now, I want to tell you something. These girls obviously loved Naomi, and they were loyal to her, and they wanted to remain with her. But she shares, and we just read that. It's a very interesting verse. She shares the problem. I got no more sons to marry you. I want you to return to your home. You see, Naomi saw a number of things. In verse 6, she saw that God was the God who helped his people. And then did you catch it in verse 13 and verse 14? She also saw that this God who helps his people is also the God in charge of the discipline that toil his people. Do you remember what she said? The Lord's hand, right, 
has turned against me. So she sees God for who he is. He gives and takes away. His ways are not our ways. His timing is not our timing. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And she sees this, and this, what she's sharing here, I think, has quite an effect on them. And, of course, we see in this section that what does Orpah do? She went back. What does Naomi do? The scripture says that, not Naomi, sorry, Ruth, Ruth clung to her mother-in-law. Now, let's just talk about that for a minute. The verb clung here in the Hebrew language is a powerful word, clung. I'm going to give you a couple instances where this word is used. In Genesis, do you remember that powerful word when a man is to cleave to his wife, right? You leave it all and you cleave to your wife. The two becomes one, all that. That's the word, clung. In Deuteronomy, there's the picture of the committed faithfulness that God desires from his people. It's that word, clung, okay? This is not clingy. That's a different word. Ruth clung with this strong biblical word. Again, we see God is at work in these choices. Well, let's move on to 15 and 18. The story is getting better. The narrative is getting stronger. The story is moving along. And we, Naomi discovers something. Go back. I insist that you go back. But she knew that she could not shake Ruth's resolve. Verses 15 through 18. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about choice number one. Choice number one is Orpah's, and she chose to go back. Not just to go back to Moab. She is going back to her God's lowercase g. This shows us that Orpah didn't believe in the Lord, L-O-R-D. You see, people can love. People can be loyal. People can show compassion. Uh, they can make great sacrifices. They, the scripture says they wept loudly together twice. People can do all these things, but they still can be lost. Hear me this morning. It, those things don't matter if that's what you're basing your relationship on the Lord with. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's all that matters, and we need to remember that. We need to remember that. So she goes back. Even though these good things had happened and they had had these life experiences together and all this, she goes back. Orpah was a polytheist, multiple gods. She worshiped many gods. Now, I want you to catch something. If you're single today or teenagers, I want you to listen real closely. I don't often do that, this, but I'm going to do this today. Orpah was married to one of Naomi's sons, right? To supposedly a man who professed to believe in the one true God, the God of the Bible. And he married a woman who did not believe in the one true God but who indeed believed in many gods. I want you to know scripture is clear. God is clear when he tells us not to be with unbelievers. So if you're in a relationship or thinking about a relationship, you're not married, and there's an unbeliever involved, stop it. Stop it. 
That's the reason the Bible says what it is. And here's a perfect example of that and how it went. Okay, just wanted to share that real quickly. Let's continue on to the second choice. Ruth makes a choice, and it's for Naomi's people, but more importantly, it's for Naomi's God. Did you catch that? Let me ask you this question. What would cause a person to turn from the traditions of her people, to give up the security of her homeland, her friends, to everything she has known? Remember, they hadn't left Moab. It was Naomi and her family who traveled to Moab. The girls had been there. The girls had stayed there. Over 10 years, this is going on. What would cause someone to give all that up, knowing that her father and mother would never approve and indeed would probably never speak to her again. Maybe some of you have experienced that. Maybe you've come out of a non-Christian faith system, and when you came to the Lord, your folks or your family disapproved or wanted nothing to do with you. Listen, we are in a battle in the Muslim world right now, all around the world, the millions and hundreds of millions of people. And when they make a decision to turn to Almighty God, this very thing happens to them. And we need to pray for them as they turn. And maybe you haven't experienced that, but empathize with that. What this decision she's making for God, for Yahweh, the covenantal Lord of His people, the God of the Bible, and she's making this choice. Why? There's only one answer, and it's grace. It's God working. God works in our choices. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not works, what we do, so that we can't brag about it. It's God. It's God. It's God at work. So for Ruth, this decision wasn't just about Naomi. It was also about Naomi's God. Did you catch verse 17? Did you see what she said? She said, when you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the, there's the word, Lord, do this to me, and even more, if anything, but death separates you from me. Don't miss the significance of that. Using the covenantal name of Naomi's God, her devotion is no longer to other gods, lowercase g, but to the God of Israel, the Lord God Almighty, in of discussion. So Ruth and Orpah both decided on that road in Moab. And I think it's interesting as we think about applying this, each of us are faced with the same decision. And we're faced with the same consequences of that decision because they last for eternity are we going to go back to what we've always known away from the Lord or are we going to go forward to move forward are we going to remain the same or are we going to go to the one who alone is the way the truth and the lies are we going to run to Jesus and I want to ask you today what choices will you make today and make the choice don't put it off. Remember I said earlier, don't be that person. Make the choice. Don't wait. Act. 
It always breaks my heart talking with people about spiritual things, especially salvation, when they're willing to wait because the choice has been made in that moment. And it's so sad. Don't wait. God is at work and in your choices, and God is ready and willing to save. He's willing to navigate and show you the way, whatever that is in your life. And then we finish with verses 19 through 22. And we find out that overarching principle that I mentioned a few minutes ago, and it's that God is real to his people even during suffering. I'm talking about his people. I'm not talking about the guy walking down the street. I'm talking about his people, and we, we, we see it here. It's a beautiful uh, narrative and story. It's been over 10 years since Naomi and her peers had seen her. Her losses obviously had taken a toll on her. Wouldn't you agree? Have you heard the phrase that someone aged rapidly? Okay, please don't say that to uh, your wife or to (laughs) a friend or whatever. That might not go well. But sometimes that happened, and obviously the losses had taken a toll on her. They don't even recognize her hardly. Could it be? And then she requests a name change. Isn't that interesting? The Hebrew word mara means bitter. Why? I think she felt empty. She felt emptiness. But was she really empty? Well, if you know the rest of the story, you know the rest of the story. She wasn't. But isn't her perspective typical of us? Come on, let's be real. Isn't her perspective kind of like ours is sometimes? We get so easily preoccupied with what the Lord has not given us that we miss the treasure of what he has given us, what he is giving us, what he will give us. But we want to major on well, what he hasn't given us. And I think Naomi does that when he's given her so much. Ruth, I mean, what in a statement. You know how we are. You ever heard of if-onlys? If I only had a spouse, if I only had better parents, if I only had a better job, what's your if-only? Sometimes we say, oh, my life is so empty. Why doesn't God do something in my life? Why doesn't he fill this void? I'm here to tell you, but he has, and he is working. We're just blind to it, or we're not willing to look at it. He has given us so much already, far beyond what we deserve. He's given us Jesus, and let me just remind you, none of us deserve Jesus and forgiveness and salvation. I know you've watched something on TV or maybe you've read a book. Man, another guy has taken a turn the wrong way. One of my heroes, you know, and they begin to say, well, love covers everything. All roads will lead to God. No. He's given us Jesus and we don't deserve it because for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God of God. A better plea perhaps would be, oh Lord, give me eyes to see what you've given me already and what you are giving me, even in the midst of difficult times. Our family's dealing with a difficult situation right now with our son. We need the eyes to see what God has given us, not what he hasn't given us, and not be fearful about what we think should happen, 
and just trust in Him. And I know many of you are in the same situation. Wow, God, give me the eyes to see what you're giving me, what you've already given me, what you will give me. I want you to notice two things. Verse 20 and 21, Naomi affirmed that God was in control. I want you to catch that. Don't get bogged down on, well, she's blaming God for this or that. His hands turned away from me. Don't get bogged down on that. Realize that she affirms that God is in control. She may not like it, but he's controlled even of her losses. Repeated references here in verse 20 and 21 to the Lord. She may not understand what God is up to, but she affirms his control over her life, even over her losses and her choices. And she attributes, if you look at that, everything to God, even what appears to be pleasant and unpleasant. And secondly, in verse 22, it's kind of a teaser. Do you see, see how that verse ends with the little tease? And thus begins the barley harvest. But what we see here is that, and we have to see the rest of the story, Naomi would learn that God fills the emptiness of loss. I want you to hear that today. I've been burdened for people. There are people right in this room that are experiencing the emptiness of loss. The loss of a child right now, a great-grandchild. Loss. And she's going to learn that God is at work even in loss. So ends chapter 1. Chapter 1 tells us what happened in just over 10 years. We're going to be moving into chapter 2. It covers the events of not 10 years, but one day. And then we move into chapter 3. And uh, we will find out some great things as well in chapter 4. But chapter 1 ends with us uh, telling us that it's barley harvest time. It means it's towards the end of April. Why the detail? I think the detail is there all of a sudden in the story to show that God's timing is perfect. It shows that the famine that prompted Naomi to leave Bethlehem in the first place is indeed over. And although Naomi doesn't know it yet, things are about to change for her. God is at work. We can see the hand of God illustrated here. First of all, he provides Naomi with a devoted daughter-in-law. Pretty rare in those times and situations. Naomi has this jewel, and she will soon discover how precious this God-given jewel really is. And if you go ahead and read the end of the story, you can go to chapter 4 and read the end of it. God provides his people with a link. Not one that you click on your computer or your phone, but a link to, of all things, the Messiah. Think about it for a minute. In chapter 2, Ruth is going to meet a man. There'll be romance and a proposal in chapter 3. There'll be a wedding. And guess what? In chapter 4, a son will be born. This special son is named Obed. Anybody in here named your child Obed? It'd be a good name. Maybe not. He becomes the father of Jesse, who is the father of David, King David, and the royal ancestor to Jesus Messiah. Read Matthew chapter 1 this week and look and see. Those names are right there. So let me close by challenging you in this way. Four choices. You may want 
I hope you have a little room to write still, but I want to challenge you by a couple things. I want to challenge you to make God-saturated choices. Would you do that? Here's the first one. Let us choose to seek God in all things. Oh, well, Lamar, come on. If, we're, if we do an inventory of life, we're not always seeking God in all things, but let's choose to seek God in all things. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Second choice. Let's choose, here's the word, contentment. Wow. Contentment. Some of you, it appears, are in difficult straits. But God still wants you to choose contentment. 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when, are you ready? Accompanied by contentment. Wow. Third choice. Let us choose decisiveness. I pray for revival, don't you? I think one of the things holding back God's revival is that Christians were not decisive. We're not intentional. So let us choose decisiveness. I go all the way back to the story of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Listen to this. If the God, as Daniel is saying this to these pagans, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. Wow. And he can rescue us, he goes even further, from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Take that. Drop the mic. Wow, that's decisive, isn't it? And we go, man, I love reading that. Daniel's so great. We can be a Daniel. God wants us to make those kind of choices, so let's choose decisiveness. And then the fourth one, let us choose purposeful servanthood. I didn't just say servanthood, but purposeful servanthood. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In summary, God knew what he was doing even in Naomi's losses. God was preparing, even at this time, to give the world his son. My friend, the same God knows what he's doing in your life, and in your life, and in your life. Was it easier to live for God back then? I don't think so. I think it was tough. I don't know what each one of you are facing, but I would just tell you this. Take to heart the message of the book of Ruth. God is working. If, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower, a disciple of Christ, God is working, bringing you to that decision. If you've settled that in your life and you know that God has gloriously forgiven you and saved you, he is at work with what will happen today, this week, next week, next month. God, in our choices, let's pray.
Thank you, God, for this great story. We know it's a story of romance, but way before we get to the romance, we see it work in a variety of ways, in difficult ways. And God, whatever people are going through today, I pray that they would, that we would, that I would, that we would turn to you and make godly choices, God-saturated choices, and we would see you at work in our lives, in everyday life, that we would see even in our ordinary life, you are the extraordinary God working. God, please give us eyes to see and a heart to receive what you say to us. God, we thank you that you are an active personal God desiring that relationship with us, leading us to be more and more like you, closer to you. God, we ask for that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would, would you stand with me right now? It's a time of response. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you. Maybe right where you are, you need to do business with him. Perhaps you'd like to come forward and, and pray with us. We have folks that are here to do that. And so... We would love to do that with you. Would you just give a minute or two to ask the Lord in this silent time as the music is playing just to speak to you. We give this to you, Lord. friend, give it to him this morning. Look and see what he has given you. Look and see what he is giving you and what he will give you. God, give us the mind of Christ, not our mind. God, let us hear from you your word, not other people's words. God, today we acknowledge your presence here as we've sung about and been reminded of you are the God of pure faithfulness from beginning to end and you are at work and we proclaim great great is your faithfulness and God I'm burdened today and pray for those who do not know your faithfulness that they would turn and look around and see evidences of you working in their life and in your creation and would realize there is one way. 
There is one life. There is one truth. God, help us to also be purposeful and share with what God is doing in our lives. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.